0: Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. tell and i'm sam and i'm ray the other ray <laughs> and welcome to ridiculous rock record reviews a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice this is the fifth episode in an ongoing album series in which we review an artist's album catalog in the order they were released complete with theme music composed and performed by matt fleming thanks matt this series is called Opening the Doors, as we are reviewing the six studio albums The Doors recorded with Jim Morrison as lead vocalist. And that means that in this episode, we're covering The Doors' 1970 album Morrison Hotel, their fifth record. So Sam, we're opening the doors once again. Give a recap of your history with the band and this album in particular.
1: Um, this album is uh, interesting for me uh... I remember my dad having it in his vinyl collection. He loved the Doors. I, I don't know if he had all of them, but I bet he had close to all of them. And, uh, you know, it was just something that I'd, I'd seen before. I, I, I recognized the album cover. and Later on, when uh, I was going with a friend of mine and his family to Panama City or Destin, I can't remember, but I think it was Panama City. We were 13 years old, and he swiped this from his brother on cassette. He also had a Holy Diver boat, And uh, so we were, you know, switching cassettes back and forth because I brought my box. Everybody had a box. So I remember listening to this uh, all the way through uh, when I was 13, right before I turned 14. And uh, I remember uh, digging it and thinking, it's like, damn, you know, this is way cooler. than I uh, remembered when I was, you know, a few years earlier when dad was jamming. It. But that's where I, I remember listening to it for the first time. For real. And then I came back to it later when uh, the Doors movie came out. And, then, and I was like, OK, I already know the Doors. But then we started to learn the songs and guitars and stuff. And then there it is again. And it's uh, a great album. I'm really glad to be covering
0: it. All right. Ray, this is your first crack at the Doors, isn't it? No, no,
2: no. Oh, I was around with totally. the other ones.
0: OK, you were on the soft parade. I couldn't remember.
2: Yeah. All right, cool. So what's your story with Barson Hotel? Well, with Morrison Hotel, this was the I think this was probably the last cassette that I picked up from the doors because it didn't have anything. I had that Greatest Hits, and the only song on Greatest Hits from this album was Roadhouse Blues. And I didn't know anything else about this, so I'm pretty sure this was the last one that I picked up. I I, I wish I had the same kind of memory that Sam had where he was so clear about when he heard it. I don't really remember when I first heard it the first time. I know it didn't strike me. In the same way, because the Doors, I was probably like 14 or 15. It was kind of thick to to get through it was for a 14 or 15 year old. That I didn't, I don't play any music, so it didn't, it didn't have the same kind of resonance with me. It was probably until around the time that the Doors movie came out that I had, I had had the CD, and I really started listening to it. Then I know the movie is kind of corny, but I actually liked it, and I did have the book. I mean, I think that they. Issued that to everybody in my high school was the no one here gets out alive everybody (laughs) had it it was such a thick book to get through but I remember getting through it so
0: (laughs) so for my quick recap the Doors were my father's favorite band too and I heard and loved their music all the time as a kid in the 70s and I drifted away from the band in the 80s but when the Doors movie came out in 1991 it seems like the movie kind of ties us all together I opened the doors, the band, back up. I broke on through, and I've never looked back. And now, Morrison Hotel was a favorite of my dad, so I heard this record quite a bit way back when. So when I picked up this album for myself in the 90s, it was just like revisiting an old friend, really. And that's it. Mm. Now I'm going to lay on you some basic facts about this record, because someone decided to make a Wikipedia entry about it, and Wiki's How I Roll. Morrison Hotel is the fifth studio album by American rock band The Doors, released on February 9, 1970 by Elektra Records. It was produced by Paul A. Rothschild and was recorded from November 1969 to January 1970 at Electra Sound Recorders, Los Angeles, California. It reached number four on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified platinum by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We have... Ray Manzarek on Piano, Organ, and Tack Piano, Robbie Krieger on Guitar, John Densmore on Drums, and last but certainly not least, Jim Morrison on Vocals. There are additional musicians which we'll mention as we see fit. All right, time to dig into a track-by-track analysis of this album. Side one of the record is titled Hard Rock Cafe, and we lead off with Roadhouse Blues, written by The Doors. Sam, what do you think?
1: It's classic doors. I bet I love Morrison's performance in this. Um, and, you know, everyone knows that the doors do blues very well, especially if it's just like the juke joint, party time, beer drink, beer guzzling, you know, hill raising type of sound. And it, Dinsmore and Miserica, they keep it grooving, man. And this is, it's great. And, uh, and Robbie has a sick solo. And uh, really awesome. And, uh, after that, the, the guitar and the harmonica, you have that call and response. And then, you know, when it comes to kind of a, a crescendo, I mean, when he goes, Save Our City, and he screams that. I love that part, man. And I will still scream it if I hear it on the radio. You know, I, I will never turn it off. But I, I, I was wondering what the next line was after that was, you know, he says, I woke up de and, and I got myself a BI. And uh, it's a perfect beer-drinking song, um, no matter the genre, and um, it's a great opener for this album.
0: Ray?
2: Okay, um, so I'm all about context. So Uncut Magazine did a profile on this for the 50th anniversary, and uh, they talked about all the troubles that the Doors had and and how the Soft Parade kind of threw everybody for a little bit of a loop, and and, uh, everybody kind of thought they were probably washed up. And then here come the doors going back into the studio. And this is, I believe, from Robbie Krieger, who says, Before the first take of the roadhouse, of roadhouse Blues, for instance, we find a relaxed Jim Morrison setting the scene. Gentlemen, he says, the subject of this song is something everybody has known at one time or another. It's an old roadhouse down south, or maybe Midwest, perhaps oh. on the way to Bakersfield. And we're driving a 57 Chevy, dig it? It's about 1.30 a.m., and we're not driving too fast but we're not driving too slow either we have a six pack of beer a few joints and we're listening to the radio on the way to that old roadhouse it, he hardly sounds like the man that was preoccupied with his own worries that's how he set up the song for how to, how to play this i know they did a million takes of it in the studio but like sam said we've all heard this song we've all heard this song covered many times and the problem i have with bands that cover it is they all speed the tempo up and it, it's not. It sounds like a fast song when Robbie plays that fat riff, but it's Ooh. not. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's a very deliberate pace. I heard a version online that Eddie Vedder did, and uh, I just wanted to punch him. Um, <laughs> around the time that I got into the Doors, I was really into uh, Blue Oyster Cult's Fire of Unknown Origin. And they brought out, they came out with a, a live album after that, the... I can't remember what an extraterrestrial live. And they did a version of this where they sped it up and it sounds like dog shit. <laughs> hmm. But like I said, I like, I like Krieger's distorted guitar riff that leads, leads and just drives with that bouncy bopping along. Uh, I love Manzarek's Yeah, because I'm thinking it's Yeah, because he sounds like him when he says it. And that Barrel House honky tonk piano he plays along with that harmonica <laughs> with uh, G Puglase, which is really <laughs> John Sebastian from Love and Spoonful Who kind of followed him around, especially on their their bright midnight recordings. He was was on quite a few of them, joining them on stage. And you got to love Morrison's whiskey strained voice. He woke up this morning and he got himself a beer. The future's uncertain and the end is always near. Let it roll, baby roll. Love the solo too. It's a a great way to open off this album. All right.
0: Keep your eyes on the road, (laughs) your hands upon the wheel. (laughs) We get off to a rowdy start. Densmore is laying back on the shuffle beat. Manzarek's plunking down on the tack piano that adds a percussive element to the track. Krieger adds his thick bluesy lines with one of his dirtiest, most excellent guitar tones he ever put to tape. And blues rock pioneer Lonnie Mack plays a simple but noticeable bass, something the Doors did frequently throughout their career. I mean, Manzarek always liked to brag that his left hand was the Doors bass player, and it was live. But in the studio, they often had a session player doing the parts. Like Ray said, G. Pugliese or something. I don't know how you would say Pugliese. that. Pugliese. A. Pugliese. Yeah. beautiful. A.K.A. John Sebastian from The Love and Spoonful Blows, the whining blues harp that comments on the proceedings without stepping on anyone else's toes. And Robbie Solo reaches down into the muck and pulls out some swampy licks. It's excellent. But you know who the star of this fucking band is. Yeah, we're going to the roadhouse, we're going to have a Rio, a good time. (laughs) Morrison's voice is noticeably ragged, and it sounds like it's taking him more effort to get the vocals out, but he loved this type of music, so he does sound like he's into it. He was also probably shit-faced, as he basically always was by this point, (laughs) so they were probably lucky to get what they got. Now his scat singing is hilariously terrible. yeah, that's bad. But then he redeems himself with, "Well, I woke up this morning and got myself a bo." Yeah. Alice Cooper claimed that that line was about him, but Alice claims a lot of things. I mean, who the fuck doesn't dig this? Like we were saying, it's a live favorite, it's become a classic rock staple, and it's one of The Door's iconic tunes. Let it roll, baby, roll! Sing it, brother. <laughs> the next track is Waiting for the Sun, written by Jim Morrison. And you... Your thoughts?
2: Well, does it does it bother anyone else when artists have a title track for an album and then they release the song later? It's weird, isn't yeah, it? Kind of. <laughs> it, it, this, it got me on the this one. one. Yeah, the Zeppelin yeah. one really bothered me because that what, that song would fit. Um, yeah, it would. <laughs> this one's got... It just comes off with a kind of dreamy start. with the bass line and the rim shots and those uh, trippy key flourishes. And I don't know if that's a harpsichord. I read that it was, but I don't know where the hell they would find a harpsichord. And then that, that boom, 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 boom. You know, mm-hmm. Jim is in his full crooning thing. It's a, it's got a dark moody feel. I do like the use of tension that they, they put in this song, the way that the song builds driving harder and harder until it bursts. It's psychedelic. It would fit perfectly on the album with the same name. My guess is it sounded too much, a little bit too much like five to one. Cause I kind of, it's that same kind of pounding drive Yeah, with a violent build. And, uh, this, I just li- I do like this song. It just seems weird after the after uh, the sequence. Um, this is the strangest life that I've ever known. That is a great line. Jim's yeah in the middle of the freak out section, complete with indecipherable screams because I have no idea what he's saying. I must have played that back twenty times, going, "What is he saying?" That it's just kind of cool. And this being the first day of spring, this one really I kept listening to this one today. Um, and I really like Robbie's playing the, That solo on the way out So I, I, I do like the song It just seems weird to me And it always bothers me When they have a, a title track And they, oh, let's pull it out later
1: Sam Man, this is, I think it's my second Favorite song on the record uh, And not by very much I mean, it's uh, almost number one Some days, I guess it is number one I really like this song I, uh, I like the slinky guitars from Robbie And Robbie by the way, I'll say this uh, a few times on this record. sounds great on this record. Better than he did on the past couple. Mm. I think he's got his tone down. Uh, the clean and his uh, overdrive tone are fantastic. I agree. I like the part. He and uh, Morrison uh, are Morrison singing and him playing this descending chromatic scale. It's really eerie. It's the same thing that uh, Days of Confused does, you know, or... Uh, twenty-five or sixty-four. Set dun, dun, dun It's it along those same lines, but um, it perks your ears up because it's familiar, and uh, it's it's damn perfect way to end that phrase with that hard as fuck two note riff. Dun, dun 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 dun. Where Manzarek pulls his balls out and shows the world, <laughs> <clears throat> and Densmore knows what to do with those, and. uh <laughs> And slams it slams at home, man. I love that part, and I think it's really heavy. Before there was uh, heavy, I guess Sabbath was, you know, they were around by this time, and, and uh, you know, but that was pretty heavy for the Doors, and, and and they can do that from time to time. They didn't show it off, and um, I really love that part. And I, I, another part that I love after uh, he tells us that he's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And waiting, (laughs) they finally sung, waiting for you to come along. I love that part. It's even better when he goes up to that next register and goes, waiting for you to I was like, fuck yes, man. That's my (laughs) shit. I love that. And uh, it's so fucking awesome. And I love it when, uh, when they go back. To the earlier and Morrison's doing these little screams, dun 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 dun, dun yeah, you know, it's, 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 hell yeah, man, yeah, I really dig this song, man. I really, it's one of those. Uh, for me, it's one of my favorite door songs.
0: Yeah, so like we were saying, it's the erstwhile title track for the third album that didn't make the cut back then. It was revived and repurposed for the fifth album. I mean, I I don't know what the what (laughs) where they come up with this shit. It's a standard spooky doors rocker with Densmore's jazzy drums leading the way, Manzarek's shimmering keyboards adding color, along with Krieger's snaky bendy guitar, letting Ray Neapolitan's melodic bass line act as the glue in the verses, with all the instruments joining together in a musical refrain that pulls everything together. We've all done it, so I guess it's my turn. Dun, 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 dun. (laughs) The ascending chorus section repeats itself and drives it home, while the breakdown section adds intensity both rhythmically and melodically. Morrison's voice is questioning in the verses, more emphatic and commanding in the choruses and breakdowns. Now, the lyrics to me are pretty vague, but I'm picking up that the narrator wants to reach a sense of freedom that he's unable to attain, like he's on the verge, but he can't quite get there. He's also either a time traveler or he's been reincarnated with that interesting line this is the strangest life i've ever known me too jim <laughs> this tune changes the mood of the record while obviously hearkening back to earlier doors material and i dig the shit out of it
2: sam you brought something up i'm wondering if if we have no way of knowing this is just pure speculation but i wonder if botnick was listening to krieger more and kind of putting him a little bit forward more so than he did on the uh, way more on on a soft parade. It just, cause it, it, you said it right. He does. He's got a, he's got a better tone than he's ever had. And it yeah. really shows up in the next album. He's great. Robbie's so,
0: phenomenal on this record. Yeah. yeah I think so what it, it
2: is, man, to
1: see probably, you know, it's all trial and error. Uh, I think Robbie did not like the way he sounded like me on a uh, like, hello, love you. I think that sounds awful, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, he sounds better and better since then, um, and I think he just found a sweet spot. He got a sweet room with a sweet amp, and he's got that SG, and uh, he, he uh, had a, 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 you know, a producer that knows him, and they found a really sweet spot, but I think Robbie, uh, damn, he, he really does do
0: a good job on this record, man. The following track is You Make Me Real, written by Jim Morrison. Yeah.
1: Sam, hit us. Um, this is uh, classic Doors rowdy-ass saloon music. It's a fun little jam. I, 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 as a matter of fact, I think it's... It, well, to me, it sounds like it came out of a jam, maybe. They they were in the studio and kind of dicking around or something, and it maybe came out of that. Because the the words, you know, are something that sounds like Jim made him up on the spot, and uh, which is fine. You know, he seems like he's having a good time on this song, too. But the, the words are, you know... If he was uh, writing words, then he phoned it in. But I dig it because I can hear, like, you know, people that would be influenced later by this uh, this song and this style of Doors songs. There, there are a few of them, but the Ramones and Iggy Pop and the West Coast punk that came out uh, just a few years earlier have kind of the same feel to me. And uh, I can, I can hear it in 1970 with the Doors. Uh, um, it's uh, it's okay. It's a good song. Don't skip it.
2: Ray. It's a jumpy little song, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Manzarek brings back that barrel house pounding on the keyboards. Um, Jim's singing some lustful lyrics about a girl that gets him real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ray is Ray is playing his ass off, and Densmore always seems to be on his A-game playing that swaggering shuffle pattern. probably has got some nice fuzzy licks and a fun solo. Bass player's keeping it all together again. I don't know who it is. You probably do know Aaron. it's a it's a fun song to blow to blow off some steam to, and I'm not talking metaphorically here, just a good song to let loose. I never skipped this one either, but I agree with you it sounds like a jam that they just said, hey, we could use that. There's a couple of tunes on this album that that are like that, but that's it's kind of what I like about this album. How about you,
0: Aaron? Well, I read that this was actually one of Morrison's earliest written songs dating back to 1966, and that also was revived for this album. Like you said, Ray, this is exactly how I'm describing it. Man, Zarek's jumping tack piano is the upfront sonic component that the other instruments kind of follow along to. It sets the pace, and yet it leaves enough space for Densmore's busy drumming to drive the rhythm, including some nice start and stop phrases at the tail end of each chorus. Krieger basically joins with Manzarek for most of the song, but he gets to cut loose with a bluesy solo that has some heft to it. I think it's that guitar tone, like you were saying, Sam. While Neapolitan's bass rumbles along under the track. Now, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The Doors always benefited from having a bass player fill out the bottom end in the studio. The lyrics are not deep on this one. We all kind of alluded to that. Morrison really wants you. He really does. Your love makes him feel happy and free and, you know,
2: real, right? It's like a 13-year-old with his first Playboy.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Morrison basically growls out the vocals, and you can hear the strain in his voice, which makes the performance more raw. But knowing what's coming down the pike, I can't help but feel a little bit sad almost. I mean, we're hearing his slow decline. This track is another winner and was the album's only single, oddly, that reached number 50 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. Why the hell did they put this out as a single? <laughs> 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 well,
2: what, what the hell? Compared to what everything else that was coming out that same year, the Beatles, the Stones, Hendrix, and they're like, hey, put this out. <laughs> 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 the next track is Peace Frog, written
0: by Jim Morrison and Robbie Krieger. It's streets, it's up to my ankle.
2: What do you say? Oh, now we are cooking with some gas. <laughs> Turn up all the burners to 11. I forgot about this song. I rediscovered it from an episode of Entourage, believe it or not. Um, cool. They were playing it. They were going. It was the end, of the, the end of the episode, and they were getting on a plane. And I was like, damn, that's a great song. <laughs> um, the lyrics were adapted from a couple of Morrison's poems, one being entitled The Abortion Stories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what gives the song its bloody imagery? Yep, that's where it oh, came from. Damn, um, Robbie's riff is so nicely distorted with that with that wah wah effect. I love that. And the keyboards, the bassline, and Desmond's backbeat. Yeah, man. The build to the solo, and Robbie takes off with some sorcery on the guitar. It all works in a weird alchemy to me. Morrison comes again with his poem "Newborn Awakening," the spoken part. It's his story of an accident involving Indians, Native Americans on the side of the road that made quite an impression on young Mr. Morrison. The sudden stop for the two count after he says, ghosts crowd the young child's fragile eggshell mind. I just love the way that it stops. And then it comes crashing back in with blood in the streets in the town of New Haven and bloody red sun of fantastic LA. I do like LA. I can only be there for a little bit, but I do like going there. (laughs) Uh, Um, and Blood Will Be Born in the Birth of a Nation. Of course, this is all going on with all the civil unrest and the people on college campuses going nuts and everything that was happening. They all thought it was going to be some big change. And then it dovetails into the melody of Blue Sunday. But this song, this is one of my favorite door songs. Sam, you like this one?
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I really do. Uh,
1: who says you can't dance to the doors, man? This song comes in is funky as hell. It's everybody is uh you, like uh Ray said that the the alchemy just works. My ah, shit! If, if Shannon would have come on, I I would have said hey, she came. So, <laughs> so there, there you go, Shannon. <laughs> Shout out. But uh, I love the words of this song. I'm not sure what it's about, but I hope it's not about abortions. <laughs> The, the, you know, it was like blood in the streets. It's up to my ankles. I mean, that's just like imagery for your ass, man. <laughs> it's, it's very, uh, it's not only poetic, it's a it's cinematic almost, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, well, Jim was a theater kid. That makes sense. Uh, this is just a freaking fantastic song. And man, you kind of took my thunder from because that's my favorite part of the song too. Uh, later on when it pauses, uh, Wraith. Oh and yeah. It, and he goes, extra hard, and it stabs and it's like, Blood in the streets, oh, man. Oh, that part right there, man, it's just like, oh, dude, that's just so sweet. And uh, if hey, if you're ever dancing while you, this song's playing, you could make it real uncomfortable. Just like stare at him while the pause is going, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, when it starts back, you know, blood and you start dancing again. And uh, they they would uh, say, okay, he's heard the song before.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to see me dance, man. Oh, come on. Yes, I, I do. Gotta, I got to get really drunk. <laughs> I yeah, want to see everybody really dance.
1: Really <laughs> I can't dance either, dude. I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> this is about as funky as The Doors ever got, with Krieger's chunky, stuttering guitar riff made out of a distorted, wah-wah-drenched power chord, Manzarek's bouncy organ line, and Neapolitan's burbling bass work giving this track a serious groove. Densmore plays some excellent hi-hat and gets in his usual jazzy fills. And Robbie's double-track solo is short, economical, and impactful. Morrison brings more restrained intensity with his vocals for most of the song until towards the end, with lyrics taken from his notebooks of poems. There's some evocative imagery like we've been talking about. Blood on the streets is repeated throughout the track. It's up to Jim's ankle and his knee. And blood on the streets is also symbolic for the violent 1968 Chicago Democratic National Convention. And the lyrics also reference the infamous incident at a 1967 Doors show in New Haven, Connecticut, where Morrison got arrested on stage after baiting the police. And actually they provoked him backstage beforehand, but yeah. that's a whole other was thing. Was that
1: was that tried they did did they try to depict that in the movie
2: kinda? Yeah,
0: yes. they did. Well, okay, they yeah.
2: they, yeah. they tear gassed him.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. That quiet, solemn breakdown section as Morrison reciting more poetry that refers to another incident when he was a child and his family drove past an auto accident in which he saw many Native Americans lying dead and bleeding on the highway. Morrison once claimed their spirits entered into him and lived in his soul, apparently contributing to his erratic behavior as an adult. <laughs> Whether you believe any of that or not, <laughs> this is a pretty unique track in the Doors canon and it's a damn good one. And it abruptly finishes and segues into the following. Track and that following track is Blue Sunday, written by Jim Morrison. What do you think?
2: It's got that soothing, calm bass line. It's obviously a love song to the tragic Pam and Jim love story. Jim is a crooner when he really wants to be. He really had a great voice. And uh, in this song, he's doing his best to get his swerve on. It's not a bad (laughs) song, but it seems like it would have gotten better on the soft parade. It just seems like it would have fit better there. Perhaps it was a holdover. I don't know. I do like the solo that Robbie lays down. And how it continues on after the la, 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 and how he just kind of takes off with it. But mostly I forget this song as soon as it's over, (laughs) so I'm glad it's a short one. (laughs) Sam, what do you think?
1: I I agree completely with uh, Professor. He pretty much said what I was going (laughs) to (laughs) say. I I think it's pretty and sweet. Uh, I love the way Jim croons. This one, and whenever he feels like crooning, it's really cool. I think Robbie's solo is, is really fucking tasty, and he sounds great. It's a clean tone, but he sounds so good. It's, it jumps out at me a little bit, even how good he sounds in the mix, and uh, just he's nailing it and on every freaking song this record Robbie does. I like it.
0: I think I might like it. More than both of you, this is an older song dating back to 1965, and it does have an older feel, with Densmore playing a slower, lighter beat with plenty of fills and unusual accents, his jazz background once again coming through, Manzarek's organ lines are longer, they're kind of dreamy, providing atmosphere, and Krieger's guitar flows along like a gentle river. Morrison is full on crooner mode, and he was always very capable of delivering a heartfelt vocal, even with his voice declining as it was by this time. The lyrics are just simple love declaration, and to me this track serves as a nice cool down after the raucous funk of Peace Frog. The next track is Ship of Fools, written by Jim Morrison and Robbie Krieger.
3: walking on the moon. You really shep-a-foo, shep-a-foo. Shep-a-foo,
0: shep-a-foo. Sam, your thoughts.
1: This is one of the songs that uh, that grew on me. I remember not liking this song. And I don't know why. I think it's because it's the the organ sound is maybe harsh. It's just a fit at the time. But um, over the years, I've, I've heard it, oh, you know, I don't know how many times, but especially when we re listened here this last week, uh, I, I think I kind of like it now. And I, because I like that little rolling riff at the beginning. And, and I think Densmore is a, uh, is the star of this song. Um, these roles and uh, these fills and his touch is phenomenal. I mean, Densmore is a fucking underrated drummer, in my opinion. I agree. Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think he gets, he gets, he doesn't get mentioned because he didn't play that necessarily loud, you know, but man, he added what needed to be. He's like more, more or less like Ringo. You know, Ringo's a fucking awesome drummer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I'd probably take Densmore over Ringo, actually. But, and I, I like the the sound that Robbie gets again. I mean, he, I think he's got a Leslie a Leslie speaker. You know, one of those Leslie speakers that spin really fast, and they, mm-hmm. yeah. it sounds like wah, 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 You know, uh, money, yeah. uh, Pink yeah. Floyd's money. There I go again with my superpower. <laughs> relating something to Pink Floyd. Okay, okay. And then uh, there's a Le- Leslie speaker, and then there's this really cool breakdown, and uh, I really dig it. Morrison's words in the song, I think, it is really dark and it's it's i always like like these songs when the words are really dark but the music is kind of kind of ha- maybe bouncy or in a major key and it sounds happy but you know it's kind of a being ironic on purpose i don't know and uh and i also like the way he makes uh, fool a two syllable word later <laughs> in the <his> song. <laughs> he has a couple bowels <laughs> fool i love it
2: <laughs> good song
1: <laughs> prof
2: Oh, it's got that bluesy walking bass and backbeat start for three bars. And then the carnival keyboards come in. And it sounds like some twisted acid keyboard or twisted acid carnival that you just walked into, some merry-go-round going nuts. Um, (laughs) And then that all comes in with Jim coming in simultaneously with Robbie adding some nice accent licks and some chicken picking. That's all I could call it. It's trying to be serious and trying to be kind of, Whimsical. It's the people walking on the moon, smog going to get you pretty soon. Hope our little world will last. Um, the bridge turns slightly psychedelic in a fifth dimension spinning wheel kind of way with that vamping organ. And then, the, like you said, Sam, the ship of foo <laughs> 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 And then he has got that, that jazzy little guitar solo and the carnival groove kind of comes back. And here's right from my notes. John Desmore is a beast on this song. Mm -hmm. That little jazz kit is holding the song together and making a hell of a lot of noise. That's what I got for this one.
0: Boy, fellas, we are all on the same page. First thing I have, as usual, I really dig what Densmore's doing. His playing's busy, yet it doesn't seem to overshadow or interfere with the other instruments. With the bass playing a steady line that seems to flow across the drums as opposed to locking in with them. Manzirk wheels out the bouncy Carnival organ and mostly plays along with Krieger, who does add little flourishes to keep things interesting. This track has a little bit of a loose, jazzy feel to it. Morrison kind of does his best jazz singer imitation, and I read that the lyrics are about an acid trip. They're full of end-of-the-world imagery, which I interpret to be what the human race is doing to itself. And then in the bridge section, the music gets more pensive as Morrison implores everyone to climb on board the ship. Let's all trip together and escape this world. Uh, this track's not a highlight of the album for me, but hey, I still dig it. I'm in it. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on side two, which is titled Morrison Hotel and Land Ho, written by Jim Morrison and Robbie Krieger. Land Ho! Sam, what do you think?
1: It kind of sounds like sped up, like a sped up sea shanty, right? And maybe it's supposed to be. And who is the land ho? and who is the sea ho?
2: Pam. Pam
1: is <laughs> the land ho. <laughs> yeah, I, this is another one of those theatrical songs that they do, like, you know, Unknown Soldier and saying, land ho, you know. I dig Robbie's riff and, and the way he does, you know, he plays with his fingers. And, uh, so he can kind of like, uh, it's almost kind of like slap bass, but kind of different. He does his little octave thing and he kind of pops, uh, the bass string and it pops, the octave above and, he, and it slides up the f- fretboard. And goes it do, 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 do. and it's like really fucking cool. So Robbie, you save this song, man. I, and I really dig it, uh, that what you're doing here, but also, uh, I think the lyrics are kind of creepy, and I don't know why he would want to skin that girl alive unless he was having another bad trip. Is this (laughs) another bad trip song that he's thinking that he's on board uh, with Samuel Taylor Coleridge and Iron Maiden? I don't know. (laughs) But it's it's obviously a sped-up sea shanty, and uh, he's on this Indian um, or Native American sea shanty Concept album is going on here in a minute, and uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be connected, but I'm sure you will tell us, uh, Professor and Aaron. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Professor, what do you say? It's a sea shanty for hippie pirates on <laughs> <laughs> on peyote mushrooms. Oh, yeah. That's what's going on. It's about restless wanderlust, and I can relate to that. Um, I do love the tone of Robbie's guitar. Once again, Desmore comes in with the shuffle. Dude can play his shuffle beats. Uh, the bridge shifts to that contemplative whatever that Jim starts crooning, and then Robbie plays some nice licks, and we're all going to go till half of us are dead, and then he starts screaming land hole, and the cacophony kickstarts back up. Jim's going to skin that little girl alive and marry someone. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the hell he's doing. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't want to know. He's going to love somebody tonight though and the uh, the band troubles along until the fade out and uh, this song was on the the 13 which was their first greatest hits it was before it was after they released this album which I never understood what the 13 was about it was like 13 songs i guess but i never understood why they did the greatest hits then they they must have thought that they were washed up and then they came out and kicked everybody's ass with LA woman but i didn't i don't know what to make of this song <laughs> so, <laughs> i don't think anybody does but I don't I don't skip it, but I, I don't get it. So what do you think, Aaron? <laughs> this
0: tune is based around that churning guitar lick from Krieger. <clears throat> <Yeah. clears throat> and then it develops with a churning rhythm. I mean, you almost feel like you're at sea, bobbing up and down with the waves. The carnival organ's back and kind of dances on top of the rest of the music, leading into breaks that kind of reset the song and build back up to the main riff. Then the bridge takes it down like we've reached calmer waters. The music simmers with intensity like it just wants to burst forth. Oh. It's just waiting for Morrison to shout, "Land ho! Yeah. Then we set sail again on those choppy waters. The lyrics are about the narrator's grandfather who's a sailor and needs to be at sea to feel alive and free. It's a romantic notion of the sailor's life as a metaphor for freedom, which could be inspired by Morrison's father who was a rear admiral in the United States Navy. The third verse has a humorous military-style cadence to it. Well, if I get my hands on a dollar bill, gonna yeah. buy me a bottle and drink my fill. <laughs> That's what I feel like when they're doing it. If I get my hands on a number five, gonna skin that little girl alive. This song's not quite the sea shanty, but it works for me. I love it. The following track is The Spy, written by Jim Morrison.
3: I'm a-
2: Professor Permi. Written by Jim Morrison. It's got that slinky, whining guitar that is so oily. It's oh. a smoky, dark, brooding, bluesy start. Welcome to the Cocktail Club, the really? Lizard Lounge, where everything is covered in crushed velvet. <laughs> I'm a spy in the House of Love. This song could have been played in a basement bar for the Nazis. <laughs> it just conjures <kind> of <laughs> that kind of imagery for me. You know, like Marlena Daintrink is going to sing this one all smoky with her cigarette holder hanging out of her mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica Rabbit singing this in her cocktail dress in a spotlight on the stage. I got to hand it to the rest of the (laughs) doors, though. They really hold it together. The music and the musicianship of this song are great, even if the lyrics are some hokey self-indulgent flight of fancy for Mr. Morrison. But... Every time I hear this, that's all I can think of. It's like, wow, there's a bunch of Nazis sitting around. Remember how they were all supposed to be crazy sex addicts?
1: Yeah, they're all speed. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, they were. That's just what this song reminds me of. Sam, I didn't think of
1: Nazis at all. <laughs> it sounds like an early stripper song, maybe a. Uh, you know that that lounge with the crushed velvet yeah i get that a, a smoke filled bar with a maybe a, a corner with a a dancer taking care of two of those guys over there and yeah but it's it's a love song and he's trying to hey the ladies loves us by the way ray i every i, I understand chick, so. every chick doors fans that doors fans there's there's been multiple that i've ever known has uh, always said it this is so sexy I've heard it before, and um, I kind of dig it, man. It's a really sweet song. As you know, I re- I like the slinky guitar, like you said, uh, Ray. The walking bass line's really cool, and Denz Moore's holding back like it needed more some screwing, you know. And I like the end of the verses when uh how you know, Densmore kind of builds up to the end of the verse, and when he says deepest secret fear, you know, that's a really cool little thing they did just to build some tension and then release again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <a simple release. laughs> I wrote and that uh, I thought uh, Lou would love that <laughs> <laughs> Oh damn I miss Lou Lou would have said that <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh man Anyway I like the way it ends too uh, the, the, the spy ends with a little joint groove And I really dig it
0: the title of this song was originally called Spy in the House of Love, which is taken from the 1954 novel of the same name by Anais Aneas. Nin, I probably pronounced her name wrong. (laughs) The song only borrows from the title, though. It's got nothing to do with the novel itself. And this one rides on Krieger's slowly slithering guitar lick, and the rest of the band follows in an easygoing shuffle groove. Densmore laying back on the beat, but still slyly throwing in his trademark fills, while Manzarek plays a slowed-down saloon-style piano. Crooner Jim is back again, and his vocal melody is lazily hypnotic. His baritone voice kind of eases you into the groove. And lyrically, this was supposedly inspired by his longtime girlfriend, Pamela Corson. And it's about a guy who loves his girl, but he's also stalking her, summed up in The Bridge. I know everything. Everything you do, everywhere you go, everyone you know. Yeah, stalker or maybe a Nazi spy. I don't know. <laughs> this one kind of wraps around my eardrums like a serpent with the Lizard King working his mojo
2: once again. Don't you feel violated? Or that you're a <laughs> bottle <Yeah>. violated? <laughs> Like you said, some real concern about what you're drinking in this company of these people. Jim, what are you doing in the shower?
0: <laughs> Where
2: are How my long clothes? have you been here?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The next track is Queen of the Highway, written by Jim Morrison and Robbie Krieger. Save
3: the blind tiger.
0: Damn. Let's have it.
1: Let me ask you a question, Aaron. Uh, is Manzarek... does that a Rhodes right there? I believe it is. That fucking great. And I love this song because of that. Uh, I think it's really cool. I, I know he's there's no stranger to the Rhodes, but man, he's got a cool groove. I, I take this song for a in reasons, but, and, um, but it's not one of the, the best on the records. And uh, I'm afraid... Since none of these other ones were uh, a stinky sinker, I, I'm afraid um, that these last two, one of them has to be. So I'm gonna just guess and say it's this one, and say, uh, "What the fuck does he mean by Indian swirl?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't and know. It's okay song, but I, I I really like the roads the way it sounded. I think they uh, missed an opportunity here.
2: Ray. Well, it's another song to Pamela or about Pamela, the most famous Pamela until Pamela does bar. So I'm, Sam, you stole my thunder because my next line was, is that a Rhodes? Because I love the roads. I <laughs> oh, love yeah, man, Rhodes. So, so, too. Cool. so that just so makes cool. everything great. Yeah. Um, it's a princess, a queen of the highway. She meets a man. He was a monster, black, dressed in leather. And apparently he had some sort of flaw that only she could help. That's the tragic whole love story of all women. Um, I can save him, Uh, (laughs) married soon to have children started all over. It's the American way. Beautiful people, most beautiful people in the world. Hope it can last. I like this song. I think that it grew out of a jam. The roads is prominent. And then after the merry-go-round bridge, the guitar becomes more ferocious than after the Indian swirl. Some great fills by Densmore again, what they do well, they do really well. So a lot going on in this, this less than three minute song, but I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This was originally recorded during the soft parade sessions in a jazzy arrangement I read, but this version still has a jazz feel to it due to Manzarek's warbly electric piano. We're all sold on that one. Neapolitan's melodic bass and those jazzy Densmore drums, while Krieger's guitar does a great job coloring in the spaces with his classic tone and bluesy licks. Morrison's vocals kind of float along. He's not screaming or barking the lyrics. He almost sounds spaced out, which he probably was, or at least drunk. I mean, he was a raging alcoholic by this time. At least drunk. <laughs> the lyrics the lyrics again reference Jim's tempestuous relationship with Pamela Corson. She was a princess and he was a monster black dressed in leather. Ah, yes, Jim and Pam. Office fans will understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Morrison recognizes the relationship is combative and has his doubts about its longevity. Whirlpool, formless, hope it can continue a little while longer. He's not sure. For me, this isn't a major track, but it's a cool, deep track. The penultimate track is Indian Summer, written by Jim Morrison and Robbie Krieger.
3: Better than all, the red- I meet. End of End
0: of Ray, let's have it.
2: Well, it has that dreamy hypnotic quality. Um the guitar sounds like a harp almost. The song has that sleepy, not quite awake feel to it, that twilight mental state where things aren't completely clarified, but yet still have a strong presence. You know what I mean? Like when you hear a phone ring when you're when you're waking up and you answer it and it's still ringing because it's actually ringing and you're still dreaming. It, this song kind of captures that perfectly as, as a couple of the songs by the doors really do. But other than that, I really don't think much of this song other than the Indian summer when it happens to be an Indian summer, I think of this. But other than that, I really don't, this song is not a a you know, blip. <laughs> so. Sam?
1: I, I like the song more than Ray, I think, uh, because, it, well, it reminds me of, of the end, you know. Um, maybe it's, there's definitely uh, some similarities there. and It's very pretty, uh, prettier than the end, I don't know. And it was, it's still got that eerie feeling. And uh, I dig it, the best.
0: (laughs) I dig it. That was good. According to Robbie Krieger, this was the first song The Doors ever recorded for a demo the band made in 1965 and then recorded for real in 1966 during the sessions for the first album. Well, wouldn't that make sense? (laughs) it does doesn't it they felt it was substandard then but they brought it back for this record and i'm glad they did because i fucking love this song i probably like it better than ray and sam (laughs) it has that exotic the end quality to it i picked up on that too sam the bass line somewhat resembles that epic track especially since it's manzarek on keyboard bass and krieger's guitar lines have that snaky vaguely middle eastern quality to them like the end does Manzarek on Oregon plays a trance inducing drone and Densmore accents his tom hits and rim shots to keep the beat kind of off-kilter Morrison's singing very gently, almost like a lullaby, and the lyrics are as simple as it gets. I love you the best, better than all the rest. <laughs> I dig the way his voice kind of trails off at the end of a line and he bends his final note. You know, it's one, it's like one of his trademark vocal stylings. Indian summer. <laughs> he does the you know, he like, does that like Bill Murray. <laughs> yes, Bill Murray doing Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <baby. laughs> oh, Well, that's what it is. This is one of my favorite Doors ballads. It really is. And that brings us to the final track, Maggie McGill, written by The Doors.
3: Miss Maggie McGill, she lives.
1: Take us home. The Doors uh, usually end their albums with a uh, heavy blues song. Um, five to One comes to mind. Hit, you know, when the music's over, they always like have been those really friggin' epic songs, and uh, usually. And this missed another opportunity is another opportunity missed because this has a, the framework of a badass song. It could have been heavy blues in uh, the. Door's tradition of ending, you know, and, it's, uh, and Jim is, has this half drunk voice that I fucking love. Um, I don't know what Town is, <laughs> but. And I like when they go into that uh, part where it goes double time uh, for the little organ solo. That's really cool, man. Uh, then to where it goes double time for like two measures. And, it, you know, and Minzeric, does, you know, tickles the ivories or the plastic, whatever it's made of. And, uh, and Robbie, again, has got the slot uh, working. And, man, this could be one of those badass Doors songs that will, you know, are played on rock radio, but they just missed. Something doesn't work with it. And I really hate it because uh, it, it took a star away. It really did. So, But I, I don't skip it. I like the song. just sh- shouldn't have ended this Doors album. I thought it would have been a perfect album if it had ended well.
2: Prof. Well, we got some Delta blues now, Um, some funky playing. Seems like a studio jam that evolved with Jim freestyling these lyrics because I think any seven-year-old introduction to poetry could have come up with that. (laughs) Um, Living on a hill, daddy left no will. Come on. The song is really more about swagger and attitude than it is about anything else. I do love that bottleneck that that Robbie's getting that tone that he's getting on it. It's so grimy in the best way, but yeah, I agree with you, Sam. This doesn't follow the regular formula of coming up with a really big epic song at the end, but this is uh this does seem like an opportunity lost. I do like it, but it's just it doesn't really go anywhere and that's all I got
0: well, we're all on the same page again. It's a hard blues rock thumper. I mean, something the Doors did from their earliest days and always did well. And supposedly it was written by the band after a concert at the University of Michigan in 1967. Krieger gets two tracks for his guitar, one each in the one in the left and one in the right channel, and they sort of call and respond with each other and that's pretty cool. Manzarek's organ is low in the mix and the rhythm section is more prominent than usual. They're bashing it out. Morrison's vocals are gruff and he's just kind of grunting the words out and the lyrics are about a prostitute in the Old West who goes down to Tangy Town where people really like to get it on. The last verse points to where Morrison and the band was headed. Well, I'm an old blues man and I think you understand. I've been singing the blues ever since the world began. Yeah, that's the direction we're heading. I dig this. I do. The record closes how it opens, but fuck, something's got to give, man. Sometimes I hate my self-imposed rules, but if I am taking a track off this album, it's this one, so I'm labeling it Aaron Stinky Stinker.
1: (laughs) Damn, Aaron. I think you missed some opportunity.
0: (laughs) 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 Now that the track-by-track is through, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0-5 to system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which bled out and died in the streets. Sam, give us your final thoughts on Morrison Hotel. Man,
1: I really do love this record. Um, There's three songs on here that are in my top door songs. Two of them in my top ten with Waiting for the Son of Peace Rock. I really do. I love this band, and I love this record. If they had had their shit together, man, you know, if Jim would have been on, they could have made uh, something great. So it's four stars. Um, it could have been five. Um, they missed a couple of opportunities there, especially Maggie McGill. I hate that that is your uh, stinky stinker, because uh, I think it's better than uh, You Make Me Real. Wouldn't that be? I don't know. I think you're wrong. <laughs> 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 but uh man i love the doors i really uh, do uh, appreciate you letting me come on here and talk about it with you guys and uh thanks man fuck yeah four stars
2: ray i'm right there with you sam four stars all the way uh i love this album too after the soft parade and all their legal troubles the doors gathered in the studio with more focus and wanting to play their music for the joy of doing it. That's just kind of what comes off the the album for me. It uh, seems like the band had too many influences past strange days, too much chemical, behavioral, alcohol, producers, et cetera, et cetera. And they kind of came back and learned to trust their instincts that got them there in the first place. I wouldn't call this a comeback album, more like a Phoenix album. It seems lots awesome. of acts were doing this at the time. Uh, the Beatles were headed towards their get back attempt to save their fractured band. The Stones had refocused and released Jumpin' Jack Flash and Beggars, and they returned to touring as a, as a force and as a live show, and this was their chance to do that. And then this is when they started recording the, their shows for the on this tour was for uh, Absolutely Live, and some of them shows are just smoking. Like, if you ever get a chance to hear the, the Detroit show, that one is awesome. Cool. I, yeah, I, just, I, 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 just, I love where they're headed with this album. Much more than after I finished the soft parade, I thought, oh, shit. (laughs) And I'm sure that everybody else thought the same thing. They thought, well, they're washed up. They're done. Here they go. They're going to go the way of the dinosaur. And then they came out with this. And I know that this one didn't get a lot. There's not a lot of hits on it for radio play at the time. And, like, You Make Me Real was the big single, which I still don't understand. But, you know, you can tell what's coming next. And what's coming next just blows everything out of the water. So, yeah solid four for me
0: <laughs> in the aftermath of an infamous miami concert on march first nineteen sixty nine in which Jim Morrison allegedly exposed himself, oh, you know he did. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> 25 dates on The Doors' next tour were canceled and the band suffered negative publicity. Morrison was sinking deeper and deeper into alcoholism as he began to gain weight in his shoe, his Lizard King stage attire. And in November 69, he caused such a disturbance on an airplane flight that he was charged with a new skyjacking law that carried a $10,000 fine and a 10-year prison sentence. Also that month, the Doors began work on their fifth album, the sessions lasting just two months and deliberately going for a back-to-basics musical approach after the relative failure of their previous album, The Soft Parade, which was more elaborately produced, took nine months to make, and was by far their most expensive record to date. The album cover was a photograph of the Doors sitting in the window of the actual Morrison Hotel on South Hope Street in downtown Los Angeles, taken by Henry Diltz without the hotel's permission. When it was released, the album Morrison Hotel was viewed as a triumphant comeback for The Doors, and despite the fact that it contains no-hit singles, it was a critical and commercial success. Due to the backlash and blacklisting of the band after the Miami incident, The Doors' 1970 American tour to promote the album was mostly confined to the Northeast, West Coast, and more progressive Midwestern cities amid ongoing cancellations, a sign of graver things to come. As for me, I fucking love this album. It definitely gets The Doors back on track after the botched experimentation of the Soft Parade and harkens back to their classic sound while simultaneously highlighting the weariness the band was experiencing due to their personal turmoil. There may not be any charting hits, but there are many beloved deep tracks of The Doors Faithful on here, and everyone knows Roadhouse Blues. It's an absolute classic rock staple. This album is regarded as one of the Doors' better records, and I'm totally on board with that. I give Morrison Hotel a four and a half, and I'll always get a room here for the night. Just let me know when's check-in time. Damn right. We got an Apple Podcast review. It's a five-star review titled, I Would Have a Beer With These Guys, and it comes to us from Dalton Reier, W-R-I-G-H-R. I have no idea how you pronounce that. And it says... I stumbled on this podcast on Spotify, and I've really enjoyed every episode I've heard so far. It's a good mix of humor and insightful commentary, and that really makes me come back to this podcast time after time. I highly recommend it if you are a fan of classic rock or don't like Tori Amos. (laughs) Thanks, Dalton. We'd have a beer with you. (laughs) Yeah, we'd have a beer with you. Yeah, why not? And to all of our listeners, we're so grateful that you are here, and we would also appreciate more Apple Music Reviews. It really helps the podcast out. And as always, rock on! And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms, wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at r 4 Aaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm Sam.
2: And I'm Ray the Prof. See ya. Bye-bye. Good to be back.
3: Did I lose you? I don't hear. Hello? I don't hear. Where'd you go, Sam? Sam. Sam. I'm here. Oh, there yeah. you Okay. <laughs> what the hell happened? I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you st- All right, you're back. All right, I'll, I'll cue you in. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. You ready? Yeah. Yep. That's Are you about- talking about Fifth Dimension, the, the group? <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay, okay, okay. So what goes on? Yeah. I thought that was Three Dog Night. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. Dimension. I, I mean, don't. that's like an AM. I remember riding in like, the car with my mother listening to the AM radio. I don't know and that would come on. I'd be like, this is like a drug song, Mom. What are you doing? <laughs> There's, There's a fact checker on the stamp <laughs> <laughs> I can look it up in a minute. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got the fact check. It's blood and <laughs> We were both wrong. Whoa. <laughs> 1968. Love and that. the dude singing it is looks like my science teacher. <laughs> 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 I've never Tuesday, I remember Blood Sweat and Tuesday had a couple others, Yeah, I had a couple his. Yeah. Yeah.